This is an Our Savior Evangelical Free Church podcast. To learn more, visit osefc.org. Well, really is good to be together this morning. Let's go to the preaching of God's Word. And so if you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15 is where we're going to be. If you don't know where that is in the Bible, that's fine. Go ahead and look at the table of contents, just like any book. Your Bible will have a table of contents. If you're using the Bible in the rack in front of you, our pew Bible, it's going to be on page 949. You know, it's important that we read these things for ourselves. I, as you're turning there, I, let me just say, I, I'm honored that you would trust me to teach you the Bible. But what's even better than me teaching you the Bible is for us to read these things together and explore them with one another. And so I want for us all to see the wonder and the beauty and the glory of God as a church family, and we do that when we open the Bible together. And that's especially important during these six weeks, because what we're doing in this Gospel People series is learning, looking at what can happen when a group of people lets the Word of God pierce the the hard armor that we sometimes typically walk around in, and when we open ourselves up to vulnerability, when we trust each other, when we humble ourselves before God and other people, the Lord is glorified. And when, when that happens, lives aren't just altered a little bit. The very trajectory of people's lives is changed. And so we're, we're calling this series A Gospel People, Because we're asking what people who've been awakened by the good news of Jesus Christ, what those people look like, what they live like, and what they love like. I've said just about every week that our doctrine, what we believe, is important. It's the foundation. We have to start with right doctrine. But it is possible to have strong doctrine and an anemic culture. We can have both strong doctrine and a culture that just oozes that doctrine from every pore. So let's make that our goal. Let's be people who ooze gospel doctrine into a gospel culture. We're going to be in Romans chapter 15. I'm going to read it starting at verse 1. Put your eyes there in your Bible with me. We're going to go to verse 7. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you 
for the glory of God. So I'm going to spend the most time in verse 7, but it's all, it's all so good this morning. So I had a unique introduction to the people who are now my in-laws. I was hired to be the youth pastor at a church in North Denver, and I started as the exact same time as uh, a new, newly called associate pastor. Uh, it's a long story, but the church's youth group culture was so messed up that the elders decided the only way forward was to just kind of go scorched earth on the whole thing. So they blew, they blew the whole thing up. What they did was they, they got rid of the leader of the youth group. They asked every volunteer to resign. And they basically had no youth ministry whatsoever for six months. They just said, we have nothing for six months. And then the idea was to build it back up, they would hire two pastors to come in together one to oversee the whole family ministry of the church and one to work specifically with the students. And so the man who had become my father-in-law and I started working together, really we started kind of on the same day. And I met my wife, Holly, briefly one Sunday, but she was uh, living away at school, hour and a half away, and so she was gone for the most part. It was probably, I think, I met her maybe one of those first Sundays that I was there, and then I didn't see her for months. She wasn't around, but I started to get to know her family really well. So I was working with her dad, working as a team every day together. Holly has four. She's the oldest of five, so she has four younger siblings. I think at that point, either two or three of them were in the youth group. Eventually, all four came through uh, the youth group. And then because I was young and single and had no money, uh, they started having me over to their house. And so I would go over there after church on Sundays for some lunch. I would have dinner there sometimes. And at least once, if not more than, than that, probably a couple times, I was there for a holiday because I didn't have any local family to go spend holidays with. And so I, I was already kind of learning about her family and experiencing her home life long before the, the two of us were kind of romantically interested in one another, and certainly before we were dating. And here's what I remember about those years. Here's what I remember about going over to the house, spending time with the family. Their house in Denver, just quite honestly, was not much to look at from the outside. It was an older ranch style, pretty small, uh, in a neighborhood that probably wasn't going to be anybody's first choice of a neighborhood to live in. Uh, the neighbor to one side hardly ever mowed the lawn. I mean, just big, really tall, you know, knee-high, waist-high weeds. Uh, on the other side, they were always working on a bunch of cars. So it kind of looked like a salvage lot on the, the street in the driveway in front of them. And they would work on them until way, 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 way late in the morning. You know, 1, 2 a.m., they were working on these cars in the driveway and in their garage. The neighbor behind them, which they could kind of see because it was down a hill. They were on the top of the hill and the backyard kind of sloped down. Uh, had all kinds of power tools and equipment that would be out in the backyard. Uh, a living room set that they were using as sort of a yard set. It was like a, a wood dining room table, but it was out in the yard with like, with like cushioned chairs. It was, it was odd. And, uh, and so you could see this. And, and I remember those things. Wasn't a great location. Wasn't, wasn't a great neighborhood. 
but none of those things are what I think of when I think of those how, that house or when I remember that time. What I remember is, sort of burned into my memory, is how warm that house felt. It was so encouraging to be there. I remember how much their family laughed, and I remember how loved they made me feel, just bringing me in as an outsider. They, they cared for me, they blessed me, they encouraged me, and that, that was all huge for me at, at that stage of my life. The, the Greek word that the Bible would use to describe what was happening there and what really that whole place was it says it here in verse 7, what Christians should do for one another. The, the Greek word is the Greek word lambano. I'm going to do a bunch of Greek this morning because it's important. Uh, in verse 7, that word is translated as welcome. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Other places in the New Testament translate that same word for welcome as to receive or to accept. And the word actually, it, it appears over, well over, in fact, 250 times in the New Testament. It's very common. It appears in, in many forms. But here in Romans 15, 7, this has to be among the most important of those 250 plus uses. So look at what it says here. Put your eyes down, Romans 15, 7, and just sort of work backwards. So working backwards first, for the glory of God. So what we're being told to do couldn't possibly have any higher stakes. God is the grandest thing being in all the universe. All this exists for his glory, and so to glorify him is the most important thing. Stakes couldn't be higher. And we should do this this thing that we're going to be told to do for the glory of God. First, we should do this as Christ has welcomed you. So then we should ask, well, if we're going to do this for the glory of God and we should do it like Christ did it, how has Christ welcomed us? Uh, For instance, you could look earlier in this letter for an answer to that, where it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the way that Christ welcomes us is not after We've cleaned ourselves up or proved ourselves worthy or even gave Jesus any reason to believe that we were anything beyond just a lost cause. Even then, he died for us. He gave himself up for us. So that's at least one small way to answer how does he welcome us. And then the beginning of the verse told us what we're supposed to do. Welcome one another. That way. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Do all that for the glory of God. So when you see a therefore, that should always be a big clue for Bible readers. It means whatever you are about to read is either a summation of quite a bit that that has come before it, or it's going to signal that some, some sort of kind of an implication is coming. Often it's going to be a way of extending teaching from the the head to the heart. 
the writer is going to be saying, in effect, therefore, so now that you've heard this, now that you've learned this, now that you've been taught this, it's been in, in, in the Bible, it's been masterfully laid out for you, now, therefore, and usually it's going to say something like, go and do this, or go and live this way, or be born again and transformed and have everything about you now different because of what you've just read. Therefores are big clues that you're about to read something important. So therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So biblical scholars debate a little bit about just how far back we're supposed to track with this therefore. Some say it's the whole letter. Everything up until now gets wrapped up in therefore. So therefore, everything from Romans 1.1 all the way to the beginning of chapter 15 is in view here. It's possible. Uh, other scholars believe that we go as far back as Romans 12.1. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So in that verse, Romans 12.1, there's another therefore. So the idea would be that maybe... It's that Romans 12.1 is a major turning point in the letter, and it is. And at Romans 12.1, Romans, the letter, turns from the theological, and it gets into the practical. So in Romans 12.1, there's kind of this move between Christian doctrine and the life of the Christian. Now, there's a third group of scholars that believe this particular, therefore, is mostly referring to just a little over the previous chapter. Beginning in 14.1, chapter 14, verse 1, Paul writes, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. You can see why some scholars would decide that's where the therefore means that we should track back to and that's what we should loop in. There you've got the word welcome, same Greek word, and it begins to tie in what we just read in chapter 15, verse 1, about the strong having an obligation to bear with the weak in faith. So given the parallels, I, I think what Paul most has in mind are his most recent words in chapter 14. And then so far into chapter 15. So somewhere between 14.1 and 15.6 is what Paul most has in mind when he writes this, therefore welcoming one another like Jesus has welcomed us starts with this mindset that goes back to 14.1, the strong have an obligation to bear with the weak. Another way we would say that is we welcome one another like Christ has welcomed us by starting with humility. As Christ was strong, but gave himself up for us in our weakness, so it will be with us that we should welcome or receive or accept each other when we think we are strong. It is then our position to serve, to look for ways to bless, to humble ourselves before the weak. And we're going to need to do that through humility. Because that kind of obligation, that kind of action requires a great deal of sacrifice 
and it's going to take a lot of patience. And patience and sacrifice are what humility is all about. So look at Romans 15.7, and, and I really want to do this in, in three pieces. It makes the most sense to do it like this. First, I want to just ask a little bit more because it's so key. There's so much good stuff here. How Christ has welcomed us. I already read you John 1.12. We're going to, or, or, or sorry, I already, I, I already read you uh, earlier in Romans. I want to read you John 1.12. It's so good. Second, to see then how Christ has welcomed us, how we can possibly have strength to welcome one another, and third, how all of that glorifies God. So that's the rest of our time. Right there, that, that's the rest of our time. How Christ has welcomed us, how in that same spirit we can welcome each other, and how that will glorify God. So to do that, back to this word, lumbano. Here it's welcome. If you've got the NIV open in front of you, it's accept. If you go back, read the old King James Version, it's receive. And those feel like passive words. But welcome or accept or receive can all be very active. So think of welcoming somebody to your home or receiving guests. Receiving guests, welcoming people to your home, is a lot more for most of us than when somebody rings your bell, you just kind of yell, doors open, come on in, and you just kind of wait in the back and say, ah, make yourself at home. If you want something, grab it. Most of us don't do that. When we want to receive somebody into our home, when we want to welcome somebody into our home, what do we do? We prepare, right? We clean. Now, my wife wants, when the, the level of cleanliness we need to have at my home is people might not actually live here. Like Holly wants it, you to come to our house and it, it's so clean and it's so organized that you wonder, do people actually live here? And I, I tell her all the time, like, sweetheart, people understand that our family is actually living at this house. This isn't like our guest house and then we have another house that we go to across the street and that's where we keep the mess. They, it's okay if like they see our shoes. They understand that we own and wear shoes. But we clean. We clean the house. We make food. We might unlock the door. And when, when they ring the bell, we go to the door and we invite them in. And we open the door for them. Sometimes, because I don't want it to be awkward, you ever, you ever go to somebody's house and they do that thing where they kind of open the door, but then they stand there and they're kind of hunched over and they're trying to hold the door open, so you have to do that kind of thing where you kind of like awkwardly shimmy past them, like go out and hold the door open or just get out of the way, let's not make it weird. So we open the door for people and we invite them in and we say, hey, can we get you something to drink? Can we get you something to eat? Can, here, here's a comfortable chair that you might sit down in. And so to welcome somebody, to receive somebody, is not actually passive at all. It's very active. And that's how Jesus is toward us. It would be perfectly acceptable for Jesus to say, I'm in heaven, doors open. But here's the truth of that. None of us would be able to enter through the door because of our sin. And so this is what Jesus does. The Gospel of John, starting in verse 9, says it this way. John 1, 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. 
He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his people did not receive him. Now, receive is that same word, lambano. His own people did not welcome him. But to all who did, and here this is John 1.12, here it is again. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So how are we saved? How are we born again? By the will of God. Not by nothing we do. It's not our will. It's not our flesh. not our blood. It's by the will of God. And then verse 14. And so the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. That word dwelt among us has a really literal translation of came into the neighborhood, moved into the neighborhood. He came active, very active. He came to us. And so we we just ask this question, how does Jesus welcome us? He doesn't wait in the house for you to ring the doorbell. He doesn't stand behind the door and just swing it open. He goes out into the neighborhood And he calls people to come into the house. He did did that then, and he does it now, knowing full well that most people who he calls out to and says, come in, I want to show you hospitality, I want to welcome you. He does that knowing full well that most of those people reject him. And here's the next thing. So it says in John 1.12, that to all who do receive him or welcome him, which is done by believing in his name, he welcomes them in. But there is another aspect of the, of the kind of welcome that Paul says that Jesus makes in, in Romans 15, 7. In, that, in, in, in Romans 15, 7, there's actually a prefix on the word limbano. The, the prefix pros uh, it means to go towards something or forward with something or to extend out to something. And so proslimbano isn't just welcome or receive. It's welcome somebody with such a grace, such a commitment that you, and it's used to other places like this, take them by the hand and lead them into something. That's what it literally means, proslamano, to take somebody by the hand and lead them to something. And that's what Jesus does. He proslambanos us. He came from heaven to a hostile world. He suffered humiliation, rejection, and torment all the way to death. And he did that so that when he rises from the grave, he could welcome you into new life. In a better kingdom. You know, we stand so historically far away from that. It can be, be kind of hard for us to, to hold on to that as something that really happened. But there's also a kind of, of kindness and a kind of a confidence. 
from knowing that Jesus finished that work on the cross so long ago. That actually happened. Like one day he actually died. A few days later he actually rose again. But being so far away from that is actually a good position for us to be in in some ways. So we already said, Romans 5, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But the Bible also says that Jesus' death was sufficient to cover all the sins that we have ever committed and all those that we have yet to commit. So in Hebrews 10, 12, it can say that Jesus offered a single sacrifice that was forever sufficient. So there's no more work that needs to be done for you to be forgiven of sin and freed from its clenches. And and so if you ever wonder, well, I hear about the grace of God, I hear about this welcome of Jesus, but I, I can't help but wonder, I can't help but doubt that he probably didn't intend that welcome to be extended to me because this is what I've done. Or this is what I think. Or these are the depths of my depravity. Or if he knew what I was thinking about or what I wanted or what I've almost done, he wouldn't extend that kind of a welcome to me. Have you ever wondered that? Does Jesus still extend his welcome? The answer is, is absolutely yes. He still extends that welcome. He still gladly takes you by the hand and leads you in. So, if you have sin, and you do, if you have secret sin, and you do, even your sins from this coming Wednesday, Jesus has seen, his death has paid for, and he welcomes you into his kingdom, with his grace, into the family of God. And then Paul says, that's the kind of welcome that you should extend to one another. And so that's the second part of what Paul says. The kind of welcome that we are to give to one another, that we are to have for one another, starts with things like gratefully bearing the failings of the weak, not looking to please ourselves, looking for opportunities to build others up. And so he writes in verses 1 and 2. <clears throat> and we can wrap under that, all that under the headline of, of humbling ourselves before other people. Humility is what happens to a person and among a group where there is an honest belief that they have been welcomed by the living Christ. And I, want to, I just want to read that statement again and then I kind of want to break it down a little bit because it's important. Humility is what happens to a person and among a group where there is an honest belief that they have been welcomed by a living Christ. Uh, Andrew Murray wrote a little book on humility published in 1895. 
And I much prefer to learn about humility from people who are dead because I know that they've finished the race well. So Murray wrote this. A dead Christ I must do everything for. A living Christ does everything for me. And what he meant was, if Jesus was just a gentle guy, kind guy who lived and then he died, then it's all on my shoulders to live up to him. But because Jesus lives presently today, I don't have to live in the the doubt or the fear that I, I might fail at that. I don't have to fear that I might be taken advantage of if I'm humble or try to serve other people. I don't have to worry that I might be passed over. I might not be recognized. Because Christ is alive, I can humble myself before other people and I can serve and I can please others. And where I see their weakness, I can be patient with them. And I can look for opportunities to build other people up because I'm not threatened by other people. I don't worry that people are going to encroach on my territory. Even if people get credit and praise and, and I don't get credit for it, it's okay because my worth, my value, the things that define me, they're not in these worldly and earthly accomplishments. They're not in the minds of other people because if Christ is alive, I am his, and he is preparing a place for me, and he delights over me, and he sings over me, and he is living there now in heaven to welcome me into his kingdom. And he calls out to me, and he still today actively leads me in. And so we receive one another, we accept one another that way. It's so important to see this in the church. Because there is a way that we could do this church thing where we're constantly upset about what we have not been given. We haven't gotten our way. We haven't gotten credit. But that's not what Christ does for us. If you want to look and say, well, where does the strong bear with the weak? Look at how Jesus has stuck with you. Just look at that. You won't ever find a better opportunity to see a more selfish egomaniac treated with grace and patience and kindness the way that Jesus treats you every day. Because you and I, I am here to tell you, are that selfish egomaniac. Most of your life is about you. But Jesus bears with that every single day. And so if you believe in him, he welcomes you. And if you don't believe in him, he wants you to believe. So he can do the same thing for you. So he can welcome you. He knows you'll still be selfish and weak. But he still invites you to come. 
Jesus knows that after years of working with you in your selfish and weakness, your only hope is probably to get just a little bit less selfish. And maybe a little less weak. But he still looks forward to starting with you as soon as possible. And then there's a third phrase here. When we welcome one another, as Jesus has welcomed us, God is glorified. When we come together and somebody offends someone else, but they are quickly forgiven. When someone thinks, when somebody thinks, this person is so hard to talk to. They're so draining. But instead of focusing on that, they remember this person probably doesn't have a lot of other people to talk to during the week. They're probably pretty lonely. And so I bet you it would be an awfully big blessing to them if I just stood here for a few minutes and talked with them. Somebody prays on the way to church. Lord, just give me somebody to encourage this morning. When somebody says, that's not how I would do it, but I'm happy that somebody likes it that way. When somebody serves, prays, or cleans up, and, and nobody else knows about it. In those things, the glory of God is seen. I was thinking about some of the most beautiful places in the world that, that I've been. Uh, I've been to the Grand Canyon. Beautiful. I, I've stood at the top of, of some of the highest peaks, at least in the contiguous 48 states. I've been in the middle of a, a quiet lake early in the morning in northern Minnesota. The best place to be in the world. The most beautiful place to be in the world, I would argue. But I'm guessing, if you asked a bunch of people, where can you see the glory of God? Those are the kinds of answers you can get. If you've ever stood on the rim of the Grand Canyon, it's amazing. What a work that God has done there. Standing in a mountain range, what a work God has done there. But Romans 15, 7 says that the glory of God can also be seen when brothers and sisters in Christ dwell in unity and live in harmony. And so just think about that. Just think about this for a moment. It's possible that somebody from your neighborhood would not have to go to the Grand Canyon to see a mighty work of God. They can come into our church and when we welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us in that, they can see the very glory of God. So church, you have been welcomed, received, drawn in, led in by Christ. And so we should welcome one another and this will bring God much, much glory. Let's pray. God, our desire is for your glory. 
and hope in you to spread in this place into all nations. And to think that it can be done in humility, bearing with one another, looking for opportunities to bless others, not to please ourselves. And so give us those eyes. Give us that heart, we pray, to display your profound grace by welcoming one another. Amen. Our Savior is a congregation located in Wheeling, Illinois. Our vision can be summed up in four words, building community, bringing Christ. To learn more about this vision and our hope for our neighborhood, visit us online at osefc.org.